0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
1: But you shall reason frankly with your brother. Verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There's no room to excuse looting or rioting or law-breaking here. There's no room to show partiality or give privilege points based on intersectionality to anybody. It's contra Christian.
0: Every dragon will fall, the mountains will move, every chain of the past. You've broken into all the fear of
1: the lies. We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you.
0: Hello and thank you for joining us on today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. From everyone here at Hillside Church, we do hope that you and yours are well and staying strong, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to spend time with us today here on the program. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we return to Pastor Keith's series on race and reconciliation, as we hear a message that Pastor Keith has entitled, Imagine a God, Part Two. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of Colossians, chapter two. And now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: Well, last week we began a sermon called Imagine a God and it was about uh, Christianity, critical theory and their incompatibility that one has nothing to do with the other, they are polar opposites. We'll continue that message today. Uh, last week, we began an under, to understand what not to do, how not to approach racism, how not to approach injustice in this, in this world, in this temporary, momentary life in which we live. And this week, we continue that discussion. And so, I'm glad that you're here with us online or in person I believe the Bible has something to say about every inch of thread that makes up the fabric of our existence. And last week I began with a a verse, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man but the end is the way of death and I use that to remind you, to exhort you, to instruct you in the fact that the only thing worse than the problems that we have now are the wrong diagnosis of those problems and the wrong approach to resolving them and this The world in which we live is sort of feelings driven and there are things that seem right and there are well-intended people who want to do the right thing but they choose the wrong diagnosis and following the wrong prescription, they do more harm than good. In fact, they make a bad situation far, far worse. Today, I'd like to sort of set your mind by another passage that will sort of set the tone for our discussion and that is Colossians 2, 8 through 10. Colossians 2, 8 through 10. And this is what the Word of God says here. And I want you to think about this in terms of the topic we're discussing today. See to it, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Do you remember last week we began with the statement, imagine a God. Well, today I'm going to review a little bit in case you're joining us for the first time. So I'd ask for those who've been with us before to bear with me. And we're going to start there again. Imagine a God. Imagine a God that vilifies people because of the way they look, because of their language, because of their ancestry, because of their immigration status, because of the job that they chose. Imagine a God like that. Imagine a God who vilifies people who use logic, reason, dialogue, a God who can't say or won't say Come, let us reason together. Imagine such a God. Imagine a God who doesn't believe in extending grace to the sinner, who teaches that there are some people beyond the reaches of his grace and mercy based on their race, based on their uh, ancestry, uh, based on who they are or who their parents were. Imagine such a God. Imagine a God who's not concerned with people but power, whose doctrine sets up a never-ending struggle between competing groups of oppressors and the oppressed and an unending musical chair of vengeance and revenge as each group changes roles over time. Behold the God of critical theory and intersectionality. Today we continue and complete our discussion of critical theory, intersectionality, and ...and their incompatibility with Christianity. Today we continue to what we started last week and we complete it. And as we observed last time, critical theory and intersectionality... ...involve a misdiagnosis, a misunderstanding of the human condition... ...of a serious problem that we face, the problem is sin. And they prescribe a catastrophically wrong cure... Both are different sides of the same coin. We wonder, well, what is critical theory and what what is intersectionality? They are part of a worldview. They are two separate sides of the same coin, and it's based on a worldview that is uh, grounded on faulty assumptions. Their basic assumption, the origins of this worldview, is the assumption that there is no God, particularly the Christian God, and Their belief system is antithetical to Christianity to the point that the Santa Barbara school system embracing this philosophy has listed Christianity as a major oppressor of the weak and the disenfranchised. The rioters in Portland are burning Bibles. What does that tell you about their worldview? It's based on a theory of knowledge that unlike Christianity is not at first pure Or then peaceable or gentle or open to reason. It's not full of mercy and good fruit. It's not sown in peace by those who make peace. It's an angry, vengeful philosophy. And regrettably, there are some really good people, some really well intended people who have fallen prey to this ideology because there are aspects of it that have beneficial results. Let me be clear. It's like a broken clock. It's right twice a day. But it's not the clock you want to use to tell time or to schedule your life around. But there are aspects that have created some conversation, have created some interest, some, have stirred people up, but unfortunately it's not to good works. And because of either their own ignorance or naivete or their lack of understanding of the Bible or poor teaching they wrongly apply its principles to the most serious and vexing problems that our society faces. And this is not good. What is critical theory? What is intersectionality? They are two complementary worldviews or religion that have combined at this time in history. And what, what critical theory does is that it has two basic tenets. And the first one is that everyone that everyone can be divided into two groups, the powerful and the non-powerful, the weak and the strong. and, and, And in their distorted image, there are oppressors and the oppressed, the powerful and the unpowerful, the powerless. And the second tenet of this worldview that goes awry in this distorted picture of humanity is that those who have power Always, always oppress those who don't. And unlike Christianity, critical theory seeks to divide people, to divide the world into warring groups, warring tribes, and a constant struggle for power. and, And I used the analogy a moment ago. It's sort of a destructive game of musical chairs because the power relationships that it sets up, you oppress these people and then you turn to these people and oppress them and this is what we'll get into in intersectionality in a moment and there's this never ending supply of oppressors that have to be knocked down and eventually you just switch roles and you take turns going back and forth as history has shown us for the last two or three hundred years whether it's disability whether it's sexual orientation whether it's nationality gender identity race whatever it is humanity is divided up by race, gender, nationality, and turned against itself. But in intersectionality, you may be able to check more than one box, whether it's race or sexual orientation or nationality, and depending on how many of these traits that you have determines the degree of oppression that you have faced, and it also determines uh, the degree of moral authority and lack of moral responsibility you may have. See, intersectionality wants to measure how righteous you are by how many boxes you can check off. And again, the degree to which you are oppressed determines your level of moral authority. How? How does that work? You get merit points, intersectional points, heightening your privilege depending on your level of oppression or your perceived level of oppression. And how many traits you have determines the level or degree of privilege you have. Now, the weird thing about all this is intersectionality and critical theory decry and condemn privilege. And yet they, they award privilege to certain groups and deny it to others. It's a logically, intellectually self-defeating philosophy. And how this privilege scenario works is like this. This is how the merit points work. Think of a continuum or or scales, moral authority scales, for example. And under intersectionality, a gay black woman would have more moral authority than a straight white man. Because she's gay, that's one oppressor group. She's black, that's another, excuse me, oppressed group. She's black, that's another oppressed group. And she's a woman, that's another oppressed group. So she's part of three oppressed groups. And the straight white man is white, that's an oppressor. He's male, that's an oppressor group. And uh, he's heterosexual, that's another oppressor group. So he's, he's... in terms of moral authority, he has the least amount of moral authority, the least amount of anything to say of anybody based on how he looks and who he is. The moral authority here is based upon a sliding scale of oppression and preferential treatment. Now, let me let me expand on this further to show you how more complicated and maybe confusing it becomes. And this is where it really becomes sort of a, it sets itself up to be a self-defeating, unending game of musical chairs. That's what I talk about. Vengeance-based system. Take this example. A black male is more of an oppressor than a black female, and she is more of an oppressor than a lesbian black female. Because the lesbian black female has more more moral authority based on the number of boxes that she can check off. So if there was a target here for vengeance, for correction, for being reverse oppressed, it would be the black male because while he's a member of an oppressed group, he's also the member of an oppressor group because he's male. And then the black female... Would eventually end up at odds with him in the scale of intersectionality in the religion of critical theory. But her problem is is that she is heterosexual. And so eventually she's going to end up in the crosshairs of someone like a black female lesbian, because she's black and oppressed group. She's female in oppressed group. And she has a different sexual orientation. She's a lesbian, so she's part of an oppressed group. And so she can look at the black female as an an oppressor. And eventually, in this game of musical chairs, seek to unseat her. And so the more oppressed groups you fall into, the more moral authority you have. Now here's the other side of the coin, which is just counterintuitive the more oppressed someone is, the less moral responsibility they have. And by way of example and explanation, this is how some people give the rioters and the looters a pass through sort of a soft racism or a a classicism of lowered expectations. And the assumption is this, is because you're part of a victim group, You are too inept, too pressed down, too hapless, too incompetent to care for yourself. And therefore, society should have the lowest possible expectations. But what we have here is a wrong view of humanity, a wrong view of sin. And so last week, we began to look at the fatal flaws of critical theory, critical race theory and intersectionality, and we began to identify four fatal flaws And they were an unbiblical view of humanity, an unbiblical view of sin, an unbiblical view of salvation, an unbiblical view of scripture, or we call it the canon of scripture. And last week we began with the first two flaws, this week we'll finish with the last two, but let's review a little of what we discussed last week. The first fatal flaw was an unbiblical view of humanity. Critical theory and intersectionality splits humanity, separates humanity into warring tribes, sections or people groups, which is contrary to what the Bible lays out, which is contrary to the will of God. We looked at Galatians 3:28 and 29 that says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, nationality, neither slave nor free. that's a socioeconomic group. there is neither male nor female. For you are all one. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Critical theory, intersectionality, seeks to undo that paradigm. To frustrate that goal. It forgets or, ign- or, or, ign- or ignores or denies the fact that we are all image bearers of God. As we learned about in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, all of humanity is created in the image and likeness of God. We are one race. We saw that in Acts uh, 17, 26, that from one person, all of the nations came, and that word was ethnos or ethnace, which speaks to ethnicities. There is not many races. There are not many races. There is the human race. And any attempt to divide people out and pit them against each other For any motive or reason, good intentions or ill is a sin against a holy God. Critical theory and intersectionality ignores the existence of God. It's predicated on an atheistic worldview. It fails to understand. It cannot comprehend because of the wrong theory of knowledge, the wrong epistemology, that there is a sovereign God over this fallen, broken world who is working all things together for good, even things that people mean as evil. And this sovereign God has a redemptive plan and we all play a role in it and therefore he gifts different people with different abilities. He puts them in different places. He raises up kings and nations. He establishes leaders. He gives people uh, positions of influence based on his redemptive plan. And failing to understand that is a fatal flaw. Failing to understand humanity and, and failing to understand God's sovereignty, his presiding over the universe is a failure to understand his holiness and his calling for us to be holy. And last week we talked about one of the misguided things that critical theory does with this idea of low expectations, of, of being partial to the weak and coming after the, the perceived oppressor, real or imagined, by showing partiality. They defy the word of God. They defy the will of God. How do we know that? We looked at Leviticus nineteen fifteen through 18. What does that say? What does the word of God say here? And it sums up the problem nicely. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. This is a command. Verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly, sanely with your brother. Verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There's no room to excuse looting or rioting. Law breaking here. There's no room to show partiality or give privilege points based on intersectionality to anybody. It's contra Christian. Christians understand that God sovereignly bestows gifts and abilities, raises people up, he sends trials, he allows hardship. And we talked a little bit last week about Moses and Joseph. Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers. 17 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. He becomes a prime minister of Egypt. And he sees his brothers. His brothers are before him one day. And they know who he is. And they know how powerful he is. And they know how they oppressed him. And what does he say to them? What does he say to them? As for you, you intended evil against me. But what you intended is evil, God intended for good. To bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. And then what does he say? Am I God? He's not going to put himself as their judge, as their retro or reverse oppressor. And then Moses. Moses started with a position of privilege. God knocked him down and made him a shepherd in Midian. These are two people from two circumstances and two situations that God used, that God used in his redemptive plan. Critical theory overlooks this. And regrettably, regrettably, because it doesn't understand that all things work together for good, it engages humanity in a game of revenge and a never-ending cycle of people getting even with people. Fatal flaw number two we talked about last week. As a result of this, critical theory and intersectionality have an unbiblical view of sin. They have an unbiblical view of sin. And here's where the misdiagnosis really goes astray. In critical theory and intersectionality, there's only one sin, and that's oppression. Sin isn't personal, it's corporate. So you have no personal responsibility. That's the idea of lowered expectations we would call it classicism or soft racism the lower classes are too inept to take care of themselves the other races who have suffered oppression are too hapless to help themselves sin isn't individual it's corporate it's by people group it's multi-generational the sins of one generation is held against another generation and we talked about north korea last week where they imprison three generations of people for the offense or perceived offense of one person. They don't see critical theory, intersectionality, don't see sin as an individual problem. It's a class problem, depending on how many groups you fall into. There are mitigators and aggravators according to intersectionality. And so, are we to punish generations of people whose ancestors sin? Are they culpable? are they? critical theory, critical race theory, intersectionality says even if you've never participated in the sins of the past, you bear responsibility and you must pay. You must be held accountable. You owe something. But what does the Bible say about that? What does the word of God and the God of that word say about that?
0: Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. From everyone here at Hillside Church, we just want to say how grateful we are that you've chosen to spend this time with us today studying God's Word. If you have questions about today's program, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to log on to our website, hillsidechurch.org, where you can find more messages and content from pastor keith in the sermons archives tab as well as links to pastor keith's blog and the new out of my mind podcast you can also connect with us to see the many things happening here at hillside church including our service times ministry opportunities and our calendar of upcoming events again all this and more can be found by visiting the website hillsidechurch.org
1: This is Keith Crosby from Hillside Church and Grace to Live. I wanted to invite you to an online conference that we're holding on successive Wednesdays beginning September 16th at 7 p.m. We have Vody Bacham and Neil Shinby talking about the road from race to reconciliation. You've probably heard terms like woke and critical theory, and you're wondering, where does this all fit into the Bible? Come to our website at hillside.org, click on the button, register, and find out. Can't wait to see you there.